This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the Social Pros podcast, uh, the podcast for real people doing real things and real work in social media. Uh, my name is Nick Cicero, and I am going to be your substitute host once again this week as Jay Bear is still on vacation somewhere in the France, in the country of France somewhere, uh, and I'm sure that he'll probably be back next week. But no worries, because as always, I am joined by Jeffrey Roars, the VP of Exec Target at Salesforce.com company. We have a pretty awesome guest today, uh, Josh Burnoff, who's the SVP of Idea Development for Forrester Research. Um, Jeffrey, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I am uh, still fully immersed in uh, World Cup madness and uh, enjoying the games. In fact, doing some analysis today on... YouTube uh, growth and views and Twitter growth and views of all the various uh, brands that are advertising in and around the World Cup. So uh, head swimming with numbers today. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of them. Um, and, yeah, so Jay is out once again this week, but, you know, we wanted to be able to make sure that we, you know, kept the recordings going. And so we're really excited, like I mentioned before, to have Josh Burnoff with us today. Um, Josh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just great. It's really great to get the chance to be part of this. Great. Excellent. And what part of the world are you joining us from today? Uh, I am actually at Forrester Research's New York office today. Uh, traveled here for an event we're having uh, away from my usual home, which is Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, great. Yeah, I'm right down. Uh, I'm downtown right now in Tribeca area right now at the Xbeon World New York City headquarters. Um, great. So I think that we're going to get started, and, and I know that we have a lot of great stuff to talk about today, everything from mobile to social and back again. Um, so let's get things kicked off. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, thanks for joining us. Um, you are the author of three books, uh, the latest of which is The Mobile Mind Shift, and that represents kind of a shift in your career. You had been uh, an analyst on social for years with Forrester, now uh, pretty much exclusively focusing on mobile. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the mobile mind shift and uh, a little bit of what, uh, what you at Forrester have been up with that? I've seen some uh, great hashtag work around mobile moments and the like, uh, but what, what have you uh, been doing for the last couple of months as the book has just come out? Yeah, so um, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, as I looked around Forrester Research where we work on all sorts of ideas, it started to become clear to me that our research on mobile was going to be pretty important. I think this is the biggest change created by technology, uh, certainly since the PC came in, certainly since I started at Forrester 19 years ago. So for 18 months, we uh, labored, uh, myself and my two co-authors, Ted Shadler and Julie Haas, on a book focused on mobile strategy and specifically around mobile moments. That is, the moment in time and space when someone pulls out a mobile device looking for some sort of answer or service. 
that now is the locus of competition. If you're there in that mobile moment, you can gain their loyalty. If you're not there in that mobile moment, some entrepreneur will come in and steal that away. And that takes enormous discipline to be able to succeed in that mobile moment. Uh, I, uh, you asked about our uh, work with the hashtag. Uh, obviously, based on my background with social and uh, with Forrester's public relations team, which is uh, adept at social since we did Groundswell uh, almost seven years ago now, um, we decided that that would be a big part of what we're doing. Uh, so we have been encouraging people to tweet their experiences that they have in mobile where uh, a mobile device or application solved the problem for them, changed what they were doing, was there exactly when they needed it, and they tweet that on hashtag my mobile moment. And then we've seen everything from somebody who tweeted a picture of his uh, basement under three inches of water and said all I had to do was send this photo to my insurance agent, people talking about Skyping with their children on their mobile devices when they were uh, they were traveling. It's just amazing to me how essential this device has become in people's lives and how excited they are to talk about it. And as you've dug into on that moment, you mentioned some of kind of the, the maybe the surprisingly mundane where it really has impacted. Um, what are some of the best brand uses that have surprised you where a brand has uh, really perhaps gone um, a little bit further into the future than you anticipated during the research and the work? Well, uh, it's an interesting question what a brand does to succeed in a mobile moment. And uh, the most advanced brands are the ones that have already uh, customer relationships and customer information, which involves their continually interacting with their customers. So you can think about uh, airlines and banks, for example, as examples of two brands that, that uh, two types of brands that have to have sophisticated mobile applications to compete. Uh, applications like the Delta sure. Airlines application um, uh, or uh, E-Trade, which is a financial services application, do some amazing things. You can, with E-Trade, you can actually scan a barcode and then uh, invest in the stock of the company that made that product. Uh, what's interesting, though, is when you look at brands that don't have that sort of relationship and they have to create a um, a moment out of thin air, we call it a manufactured moment, when they're actually going to try and help you and be useful to you. There's certainly a crossover here with the ideas in Jay Baer's book, Utility. And uh, some good examples of that are, for example, uh, Johnson & Johnson has an application to help you get your baby to sleep. Now, they don't make anything to get your baby to sleep, but they want to be known as the brand that's there for you uh, with your little baby when, uh, when you're taking care of them. So that application has things like a lullaby that'll play over and over again on your device, called the Please Give Me a Moment's Peace button. Uh, they will analyze your baby's sleep habits. They'll have experts answer questions. And, of course, it's got a three-step sleep routine that includes uh, giving them a bath with a Johnson's Baby product and then a gentle massage with another Johnson's Baby product. So it's not like they've avoided marketing here, but it's a really helpful application that creates a mobile moment for a brand that normally wouldn't have one. So with that example in mind, um, how, how can brands rise to the challenge to get those types of mobile apps into consumers' hands? Is it really truly a matter of 
leveraging you know more traditional advertising, digital advertising, because uh, in again in the Johnson and Johnson example, it's not wrapped around uh, a particular product use completely, um, and it's not in a in a retail environment where there can be a clear call to action. So, have you seen any creative ways or uh, um, you know essentially uh, strategies? that brands are, are using to get their app in the hands of consumers in a growing audience instead of, you know, kind of the download, use once or twice and forget about it uh, routine on the smartphone? Well, uh, the sort of pure play here is to create something that's so valuable and useful that people spread it through word of mouth. And that's hard to do, but when you can do it, it's very successful. Um, I think of things like what not to do in the outdoors by... Uh, uh, by Columbia Sportswear is an example of that kind of application. Uh, but for brands that can't quite aspire to that level, you still want to be there in mobile. Um, uh, our, based on our surveys, if you have a smartphone, 62% of the people are expecting a brand to have a mobile-ready site. And that means that when you uh, when somebody does search and they do find your site, you want to deliver as much functionality as simply as possible on that site. Now that doesn't require that they adopt an app. But once they are interacting with your site, then you might have a chance to get them interested in an app if they are uh, if they're interested in a further relationship with your company. You know, that raises an interesting question that we've debated a few times on the podcast here. The mobile uh, website versus the mobile app. Uh, do you have a particular opinion or is it really a matter of strategy and execution? Now we definitely have an opinion on that, and uh, it's a question of what your goals are. First of all, it's not an or because all companies must have a mobile site. More than half of the traffic to the sites uh, of companies that I talk to now is mobile. You've, I've talked to all sorts of brands, media brands, retail brands, and sometime in the last three, four months, they've all gone to more than half mobile traffic. The, the purpose of the mobile site is reach. So if you want to hit as many people as possible, that's what you invest in the site for. The purpose of the app is depth. This is the ability to get people to interact more frequently and to develop a deeper relationship. So as you said, the, you know, the download use once kind of apps don't really cut it in that environment. So if you're seeking to deepen existing relationships, that's where the app comes in. And I think that that uh, if you think about sites for reach, think about apps for depth, then you're in a position to uh, do the appropriate level of development and effort in each of those uh, those ways of interacting. So let me make sure I understand. So you see the mobile site really as the way to um, uh, connect with the kind of the initial interest and then uh, convert those folks into the app use principally because the app is going to provide you with more form and functionality in the moment? Yes, that's absolutely true. And apps can do things that sites can't do. They can uh, help you when you're not connected to the Internet, like the, uh, the Columbia Sportswear user that might be on top of a mountain where there is no Internet access. Um, they have access to all of the functions of the device, like the camera, the uh, GPS. Um, that allows them to have a greater degree of functionality. But it's it's going to be a lot more expensive and difficult to create a sophisticated app. So that's not worth doing unless you think you can take those people visiting your site and convert them into uh, into 
people will come back regularly over and over again. If you think about Johnson & Johnson, right, somebody who's got a baby is going to be needing help over a period of, of a year or two, so you have the ability to connect with them during that time period. If your brand is like a one-and-done kind of, of thing where people use it uh, on a very occasional basis, then it may not be worth it for you to, uh, to consider investing in an app in that situation. So we've heard a lot over the last few years about showrooming in retail environments. Uh, what has your research and, and kind of the work in the book uh, shown you about what retailers can do to both combat that and, you know, better play in uh, that smartphone environment, own a piece of that? Well, I have to tell you, so we, we work with a lot of retailers, and uh, there may be more misconceptions about mobile in retail than in any other vertical. So let me go through some of those. Um, one misconception people have is that the, that blocking showrooming is the objective. And in fact, people who are engaged in showrooming are trying to get more information about the products they're looking at. The companies that we've sure. seen be su successful, they're putting up things like 2D barcodes um, or short URLs on the store shelves. You can actually research things uh, to a great deal of more detail. And as much as you might want to uh, wring your hands about showrooming, there's not much you can do about it. The other thing we've seen that retailers do completely wrong is they tend to immediately focus on mobile commerce, m-commerce, because they remember when the web came around and they said, well, we ended up selling a lot of stuff through this channel, so let's sell through the mobile channel. Completely wrong because most mobile uh, most purchases are not impulse purchases, and mobile really works best for impulse purchases. In fact, if they want to think about it, they should think about the mobile device as a way to influence people, to enable them to gain more information about the kinds of things that they're looking at uh, uh, in the store, and the opportunity to influence is way larger than the mobile commerce opportunity. Interesting. Uh, are there any retailers that jump out at you, much like the Johnson Johnson example, where you see them uh, doing it right, getting uh, those differences that you've laid out? Well, given what happened this week, I think the obvious answer has to be Amazon. I think that Amazon's desire to launch a new phone is not likely to succeed. I mean, uh, being out there with a, a new device in this cutthroat market for mobile phones is extremely challenging and, and despite their success with the Kindle this is another order of magnitude uh, in terms of, uh, of the barriers to success but Amazon's ability to help you to learn about products that you might be interested in purchasing whether it's a piece of music you might hear or the ability to scan a barcode of a product that functionality is fascinating and I think that that is what's what Amazon is likely to succeed with uh, as opposed to uh, uh, actually succeeding with the phone. Just trying to think about traditional um, One retailer that, that we profile in the book is Walgreens. And Walgreens succeeds because they have identified mobile moments where they can be successful. So instead of uh, trying to get you to buy stuff through m-commerce they do things like make it really easy to renew a prescription and uh, they put their APIs uh, set them up in such a way that any app that takes photos now 
you can send those photos to be printed at a Walgreens store, get actual professional photo printing. Now, that's a clever way to take advantage of, of mobile moments that people have when taking photos, and it's an opportunity that would not have existed without mobile as opposed to trying to shoehorn your entire uh, selection of your whole store into a tiny mobile device where people can't really experience it. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I mean, I think that Jay, um, Jeff, I don't know if you remember, but I think that we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, about McDonald's going in and kind of doing different things. And, and I think that from research, they found that they could scale back and kind of just put the most essential features, which were finding if a particular McDonald's had a play place or not in that. And so instead of kind of loading all these other features inside of their mobile apps or their mobile site, they kind of drill down to only one or two really useful features uh, that are going to get the most use out of it instead of trying to kind of do anything and everything that you could do. That is a, that's a good principle for mobile in general. It's interesting that you mentioned McDonald's. McDonald's in France has actually uh, re-engineered the way the whole corporation is set up to enable on-demand ordering. So uh, you might think it's, you know, McDonald's in France already sounds like, you know, French people really want to go to McDonald's, but they do because uh, uh, McDonald's has made mobile ordering much easier, and now you're in a position to uh, to say what you want and then go go pick it up right away. You're talking about restaurants. We've seen some other innovation. Uh, uh, Starbucks has uh, mobile payment and uh, some uh, other advanced mobile features. But perhaps the most fascinating example is Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme stopped all their media advertising and instead put all the money into social and digital and mobile. And their mobile application does something very simple. If you are nearby a, uh, a Krispy Kreme store and hot donuts have just come out of the oven and you have their app, you'll get a push notification to tell you that hot donuts just came out uh, and are ready for you to eat at the store in Collingswood, New Jersey, if that's where you happen to be. And, you know, their same-store sales, after stopping regular advertising and going on to these uh, these other kinds of programs, their same-store sales are up by double digits. So uh, clearly their mobile program and their social program have been very successful. So, Josh, um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by how the, the mobile mind shift impacts the traditional customer journey as well as the traditional marketing funnel that many folks have in their minds. Um, from your perspective, does it render that kind of linear funnel mentality moot, or does it really shift the responsibility of the marketer from thinking in a linear fashion to really honing in, uh, as you write about, on, on the key moments that matter along that way, that they can empower the mobile consumer? You know, it's really great that you asked that question because we've developed a lot of of uh, sort of ways to help that go along with exactly what you just said. I'm here in New York actually debuting our first ever Mobile Moments workshop. And what we've done is to marry together the traditional journey mapping that customer experience professionals use with Mobile Moments thinking. So I was there with with uh, maybe two dozen people from different companies, and they were looking at the journeys that their customers take, looking where there were problems in those journeys, and then trying to determine which of those moments could be made easier or better using the features of a mobile device 
like what location people are in or what what uh, history you've got on them. That is the right way to think about mobile rather than trying to shoehorn your your uh, existing website into a tiny little device. Uh, as far as what you said about the life cycle, the life cycle continues to be valuable. I don't know if a funnel is the right way to look at it anymore, but people still find out about your company, start to investigate it, make a purchase, ask questions, need service. And when we look at mobile moments, there are mobile moments all along that life cycle. And when we talk to companies about mobile, the question is, can you save money in service with a mobile application? Can you make selling easier with a mobile application? Can you generate awareness with a mobile application? Mobile can enhance every element of that life cycle, and that doesn't require marketers to transform their thinking about marketing. It just means that they need to think differently about what it's possible to do in each of those stages. Excellent. Nick, I'm going to throw it over to you. I have a couple more questions, but I want to let you chime in here. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, I, th I think I was muted before. Um, so I wanted to go back a little bit more, uh, going back to what you had mentioned, kind of about the the Amazon phone. Um, do you see that that's gonna? Do you think that something like Amazon, that's what it's gonna take to start, you know, allowing some of these bigger brands or bigger retailers to start thinking about the way that they're marketing mobile different? I mean, is it gonna require somebody like an Amazon just coming in and trying to be like a big gorilla and crashing through, uh, crashing through and kind of breaking this up in order for brands to realize where that opportunity is? Um, I don't know. I just don't seem like that. It doesn't feel like it's moving as fast as everybody's talking about how fast it should be. So I'm kind of curious to, and just in terms of adoption, not in terms, obviously, of usage by the consumer. I think the consumer is is, is very well on their way. Um, but do you think that it takes something like an Amazon to help shift that market in a way? I, it's interesting. I'm not sure I share your perspective, having been out there talking to large companies. I. Uh, there is an amount of investment going into mobile right now that's shocking. And the reason is because there's this huge gap. There are a very large numbers of companies and people who are thinking, wow, this is a big, uh, you know, seven out of eight phones sold in the United States now is a smartphone. I got to get in on this thing. And then the level of knowledge about what to do about it is so poor. There's this huge gap between the desire to move forward and the ability to move forward. Now, the way that that manifests yeah, itself I is different by industry. So uh, in an industry like airlines or banking or uh, investing, the competition is intense to have the best possible mobile application. If you look at retailers, they're starting to get on it right now. And if you look at, at traditional packaged goods brands, for example, they're moving a little more slowly. But I think industry by industry, you'll see competition get ratcheted up and if uh, Amazon phone is what it takes in retail retail may be the next industry to, to suffer this sort of of contagion of of uh, desire to do mobile uh, appropriately but you'll see it now move industry by industry through through the entire American economy I, I I'll mention this one thing at this uh, mobile moments workshop I did I'd say a third of the companies there were health insurance companies why? Because Obamacare has made it necessary for them to market to consumers, not just to, uh, to employers, and they're trying to get an edge, and they see mobile as a way to get started with that. So, you know, who knows what industry is going to come next after that. 
Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. Um, yeah, my apologies there. I think that I, I meant that the education gap, not necessarily. Um, what do you, you know, I think that we're going to probably get ready to, to go to our next segment here in a little bit, but I wanted to know um, what do you feel is, is kind of the next way? Like, let's say there's a brand who's really interested. What is the first couple steps that they could be taking to moving forward um, in mobile? Like, if they're, if they're not already thinking about it or if they are and they can't really figure out what are those first few steps, um, you know, kind of the walk before you crawl or crawl before you walk idea. What are the, the baby steps that one could be thinking about if they haven't put something together already? Well, I think the first thing they need to do is to find what, which one of their customers' moments they can start to embrace most quickly. So it is far better to get started with something than to sit on the, the sidelines and wonder uh, you know, whether you can come up with some huge overarching solution. Uh, I mean, I talked to a utility today, um, and they said that their first mobile application they put out was for tracking outages. You know, is there an outage in my area? Um, and they said that as soon as they put it out, all of their customers contacted them and said, well, wait a minute, we want to pay our bills using mobile. I said, great, fantastic. You've now made that connection with your customers, and they're telling you what to do next. That is going to work way better than if you sit on the sidelines and develop a six-month plan to roll out some av- application that has exactly what you believe people will want. And then you get it out, and either their taste have changed or your intuition has changed or you were just wrong to begin with. Uh, mobile is an iterative process. These applications get refreshed once every month or two. And that means that you have to be much better off to get started with something, solving some mobile problem, uh, using the feature to solve some issue like outage tracking, and then move on to expand uh, based on the knowledge that you've got. I think that that's a great tip. Jeff, do you have anything that you want to follow up? I know you had a few questions. You know, I do. Um, uh, just maybe two more, uh, Josh. Uh, the first one, is is the tablet truly a mobile device? Because we've talked principally about the smartphone. Yeah. What has your research and your observations of consumer behavior revealed there? Well, I, I think we take a little bit more liberal perspective on what a mobile device is. And based on that, I would say a tablet is a mobile device. But it's interesting to me that many of the best mobile applications that we've seen are applications that are used by employees, not by consumers. So uh, you have applications like the train air conditioning application that the, the air conditioning installer brings, comes to your house and uses the tablet to gather the information up about your house and then uses it to show the potential buyer, the different kinds of systems and what they cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've increased their close rate from 35% to 65% as a result of having that application. And you might not think of that as a traditional mobile application, but it's made a huge difference because the mobile selling moment is transformed with that sure. device in the hands of a salesperson. Same thing is true in uh, in many retail establishments where uh, the salespeople are using it. As far as the consumer use of mobile, mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's absolutely an interest in uh, consuming certain kinds of information on mobile devices. It certainly transformed the way that the, the television industry communicates with its customers. But you cannot treat it the same as a phone. The phone 
has so much more capability because people take them everywhere, many places that they wouldn't take a tablet. Most of the tablets are connected on Wi-Fi and the phones are connected anywhere that there's a mobile connection. Sure. And, um, and perhaps last question here before we throw it over to the break. Uh, what about um, wearables, uh, Google Glass, uh, the, the watches that are both rumored and already on the market? Are you seeing much uh, penetration there or uh, disruption uh, in terms of what they bring to the, the whole mobile conversation? Well, uh, Google Glass has sort of muddied the water by creeping the hell out of people. <laughs> so so <laughs> I don't know totally. that Google Glass is what to bet on. But the sum total of these wearables is interesting, even if individually they're not, they're not necessarily the next killer device. Uh, it's really an indication that when it comes to mobile technology, it's about the moments, whether that moment is, you know, tracking your heart rate as you use your Nike fuel band while you're climbing the mountain or, uh, you know, getting uh, quick information off of your, your smartwatch. Uh, there's even things like uh, uh, mobile activity monitors for dogs now, if you can believe that. So we're going to see an explosion in these devices, and there may be, in the end, more of them than there are phones even if any individual device uh, isn't anywhere near as successful as the mobile phone is. Excellent. Well, I'll throw it over to Nick to uh, talk a little bit about our sponsors, and then I'll be back in just a second uh, with our uh, social number of the week. Josh, if you'll hold on, we'll come back with our weekly questions for you at the end. Okay. Uh, absolutely. So uh, thanks, thanks so much for coming on, Josh. I mean, I think that that's really awesome and really educational for a lot of the folks as we start to move definitely in a mobile economy. Um, and as Jeffrey said, he's going to get ready for the, the social number of the week. Um, I wanted to let you know that Social Pros Podcast is brought to you by ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company where Jeff works. Um, they're the world leader in interactive marketing software, powering the email, web, mobile, and social programs of more than 4,600 companies. Um, they have a new report out right now, uh, five steps to measure effective social media. Um, you know, measuring initiatives, uh, as we can tell, is probably important to understand your performance, uh, but it can be pretty difficult as well. So the good folks over at Exact Target have put together a guide that will help you create strong measurement objectives, uh, save money by training your employees using tools, and even determining which social media channels are best suited to boost your bottom line and more. Um, you can download that, and we'll link that up here on the, the show notes, but also you can go to bit.ly slash effective social for that report. Um, social Pros is also brought to you by Expion. It's the company that I work at. Um, Expion is a centralized platform that empowers global brands, ad agencies, retailers, and media companies to manage and measure all their social marketing efforts. Um, we have a great report that you can go and download. Uh, the Fave 50 Social Retail Report, uh, analyzing Facebook presence of the 50 top U.S. retail brands during the first half of 2013, unearthing some really awesome trends. Uh, if you're a retailer, you definitely want to check that out. I'm sure that probably, according to what Josh is saying, next year you're probably going to be seeing the Fave 50 on mobile and seeing how a lot of these brands are, are moving over to mobile. So that should be interesting as well. So if you want to check that out, you can go to xpion.com and download, or you can go to bit.ly slash retail data report. Um, Jeff, what do you have for the, the social number of the week? Yeah, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been pretty much immersed in the World Cup, uh, being a big fan of uh, football, a.k.a. soccer here in the States. 
And I've been analyzing um, all of the commercial sponsors, trying to understand how they are growing their audiences and also driving engagement online. And today I spent a lot of my time looking at YouTube. And so the number that I have for you is 154,200,272 folks. And as of a little bit earlier this afternoon, that was the total number of viewers of uh, Shakira's La 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 video, which was sponsored by Activia Yogurt. And hands down is the number one most viewed video associated in some way, shape, or form with the World Cup. But the reason I share that with the Social Pros audience today is that it points to the intriguing nature now of um, celebrity endorsement and in the Activia case, of all the, the different brands that I surveyed, it was the only one that launched the video on their celebrities page. So it's actually a full music video, uh, but it clocks in at about 3.30, which is less than some of the long-form videos by Nike and others. Um, and so Activity has sponsorship on the front end and the back end of the video, um, and there also is a, a nonprofit that uh, benefits from the video and is teased. Um, but it represents, you know, I think an interesting move on their part, again, differentiated from any of the other sponsors, that by launching it on Shakira's channel, where she had hands down, uh, you know, millions and millions of more YouTube subscribers than any of the other brands uh, that are, are uh, advertising in the World Cup, Activity was able to supercharge that and get it to millions of folks, in fact, 154 million folks thus far, and we haven't even exited the group stage of competition. Uh, for those who aren't tremendously familiar with the World Cup, it's going to go on through the third week of uh, July as it uh, exits the group stages later this week and then becomes an elimination tournament. So um, I'll have more on this on the Exact Target blog as I analyze others. Um, but, you know, Nick, I, I think it's interesting to, you know, see a brand completely put their, their commercial uh, really in the channel uh, of the celebrity, something that uh, YouTube now allows and certainly social media in all its forms does. Yeah, and I think that that's um, that's awesome. Considering what we think we talked about last week when we we first started our World Cup discussions, um, and I think that the holy social that I talked about was Budweiser, who is actually sponsoring more of the the man of the match content. So I think that it's really interesting to see much more of these cross branded partnerships um, between creators with an audience and then with a brand. As, as World Cup is is providing so many examples. Um, and I'm going to, you know, had a question. Somebody sent me a message today and was looking for examples of other cross-promoted content. And I think that we have our clients looking to do that as well. And I, I find it really interesting um, the way that brands are, are looking to um, their partnerships to actually leverage more. Uh, you know, while Coca-Cola is an Xbeon client, um, I have a friend who actually I met when I was spending a lot of my time in the music industry, um, who he actually now just started and He's singing. His name's David Corey, and he sings the the Coca-Cola World song that the, they've been promoting oh, okay. a lot right now. And I knew him, you know, well before when he just was kind of an an independent musician running around. Um, he found a little bit of success by being on, I think, The Voice or X Factor or one of those shows, and that led him to to building his platform um, just as an independent artist. And and that's really what launched him to be able to to get that partnership with Coca-Cola as they were looking for more of those people on the fringe who can create content. And I think that, um, and, I, and I'm big bullish on this when I talk uh, with people in the space, I'm really bullish on, on brands using the most of their partnerships and getting more out of that. 
Um, and it really helps the, the people. Like It's definitely helping Shakira out there that she has content for her channels, that it's something that she can produce and she can take it and create a lot of different types of stories around that and obviously will help her um, get to do more things, but then also have that aspect of, of having it be around a brand and having that creator take on the messaging to a level that maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah, and maybe to punctuate the, the conversation and, celebrities. and maybe to punctuate it and put it in, in context for our listeners, at 154 million views, that Activia-sponsored music video from Shakira has 20 times the number of viewers as the top Nike soccer ad winner stays. It has probably six times the number of viewers as The Dream, which is Adidas Football's number one ad featuring Lionel Messi. And it has three times the number of viewers as the Galaxy, uh, uh, Samsung Mobile's Galaxy video, which has about 54,000 and is a kind of an animated uh, invasion-themed soccer uh, commercial. So uh, more on this probably in uh, Social Pros to Come, since the World Cup will be continuing. Uh, but for now, I'll throw it back over to you, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, very cool. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about some video in the next segment as well, um, which reminds me as I start to gather my things for our holy social, um, this podcast is also brought to you by the folks at Cision. Uh, Cision is a leading provider of software, services, and tools to the public relations industry. Uh, and if you need to know who's talking about your company, if you need to know the key media channels, the key influencers in your category, you should talk to the folks at Cision. Um, whether you're a journalist or a blogger or an online influencer or a brand, you, they're using Cision to research story ideas, track trends, and maintain public profiles. Um, they have a tip sheet out right now, six tips to help amplify your content uh, that provides actionable insights on how to get your story in front of the right people at the right time. And you can download that um, at bit.ly. Yeah, bit I always want to say bit.ly.com. Um, but bit.ly slash amplify scission. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash amplify scission, C-I-S-I-O-N. We thank Scission for being a sponsor of the Social Pro Podcast. Um, now on for the Holy Social of the Week. And I promise that I don't have as much exuberance as Jay when he does these transition voices. But uh, I'm going to try and give it my best shot. So Holy Social of the Week um, has to do with creative. I think that you know, we've talked a lot about um, technology or, or social interactions, um, but as more and more brands start to produce more and more content, I think is that we're seeing here on, on all these different devices, um, that shareability is really what is leveraging it and taking a lot of these creations out into the space. And so just coming across all of my sites today, it's just been everywhere today as we came in, and I had another social, uh, holy social that I'm going to put to the side. Um, Hello Flow. If you have heard of it, you may have heard of it, maybe you haven't, but you'll probably hear about it by the time that you've heard this podcast. HelloFlow is one of those box, like Birchbox or, or other types that, that will provide you kind of a monthly subscription of goodies, um, except it has to do with helping teenage girls um, enter womanhood, so to speak. Uh, so this viral video that has pretty much gone everywhere, and I think that it's live, and I just keep seeing everybody sharing it, but features a little bit longer form content um, with a director who's actually gone so far as to create a video of what would happen when a young teen decides to fake that she's getting her period for the first time. And while I won't spoil it for you, her mom actually throws her a period party, uh, which they call a first moon party, complete with a magician and gra your grandfather bobbing for ovaries. Uh, it's, it's the craziest video I think I've seen in a while, but I couldn't stop laughing from start to finish. 
Uh, and obviously, I don't have any children, but I'm sure that there are plenty of moms out there who are just dying in laughter as, as they watch the video. I know I sent that over to my mom this afternoon, and she called me. That's how much she was laughing and crying. Um, so it's good to think about, you know, as you go and, and you know, we talk a lot about picking a channel strategy or being able to, to be firm in what you are uh, trying to achieve when you're you're doing content marketing. I think that this shows a, a really interesting take from the folks over at HelloFlow that you don't necessarily have to try to dominate every social channel. Sometimes you just need really good creative to help get your story out there and, and help carry that from here up till forever. Um, a piece of content like this, and, and they've done other videos before, um, but basically, it's something that share that people can't help but sharing because they think it's the most amazing thing, and it's something that everybody can relate to. Uh, and so it already has seven million views, and I think that it, it just was released just the other day. Uh, last summer, they did something called Camp Gyno, uh, and so they think that they've done an interesting thing about really creating these awesome videos that they take um, and push out there into the into the space that are very creative, that have a lot of story to them, but then also allow them to take a lot of things and have a lot of extensions of that um, going forward. So I just looked it up right here. Now they're up to 18 million views in just under a week. Uh, so definitely getting a lot of earned media out of that content as well as it's published to all these different channels. Uh, Jeff, how do you feel about viral videos in general and calling the viral videos or just more of these different types of longer form content like you explained before, like the the World Cup ads that we've seen, brands starting to push videos out there that don't really look like the 15s and the 30s. Well, I think, uh, again, you're seeing that with the World Cup as well. As I did my analysis, the vast majority of the videos that brands are putting up uh, are not traditional 30 or 60 second commercials. I mean, Nike, uh, Nike has, uh, let's see here, I'll look at the count. They've got a 5 minute and 28, uh, one, uh, 5 minute 28 second one, a 4 minute one. Uh, and then they do have one that's one minute and 14 seconds. So even the big brands are doing that. Um, I, I certainly think that um, the HelloFlow example shows that when you do get resonant creative, um, you can you know grow the kind of viewership that you would see if you were a traditional advertiser. I mean, their numbers at 18 million actually eclipse uh, the number of uh, views of probably over half the advertisers uh, in the World Cup, uh, at least in my initial uh, analysis. It also, though, points to the challenge uh, of humor. Um, I've actually begun to see some minor backlash articles right now talking about the nature of that commercial and actually how it, um, you know, how it probably negatively casts the relationship between mother and daughter that they've got to, you know, lie and keep secrets to each other. Of course, that's where the humor is found. Um, but it also is a point that, uh, you know, uh, HelloFo probably wants to take a look at because there, too, they might be able in the future to mine that uh, for some online gold, be it of the humorous variety or the serious variety, because they are smack dab between the conversation uh, with mother and daughter. So um, uh, that's all I got to say about that this week. And I know uh, we've got to uh, throw it back over to Josh here and find out a couple of thing, more things about him. So, uh, Nick, take it away. Absolutely. So before we get into the two big questions for Mr. Josh Burnoff, uh, I just wanted to remind us that our final sponsor is the the folks over at Janrain. Uh, so Janrain is a customer profile data management software uh, that allows for social logins across the web. And they have a great report right now. Go and take a look at um, mobile login best practices. So definitely in line with what we've been talking about with Josh earlier, um, Janrain has put together seven best practices that you can follow 
uh, to help keep mobile registration conversions high and abandonment, abandonment rates low. If you want to check that out, you can go to bit.ly slash best mobile login, all one word, no spaces, and download that. So thank you to Jan Rain for that. So finally, Josh, I hope that we haven't you know, caught you sleeping. And we got you back for our last two questions as we round out the afternoon here on the Social Pros Podcast. Uh, so we're going to modify this, which we haven't done, I think, in a couple episodes. Um, we're going to modify this. So what one tip would you give people to become a mobile pro? Tip to become a mobile pro is to stop thinking about moving elements of your uh, website into mobile and start thinking about your customers' mobile moments. Once people realize that in a moment you can offer up exactly what the person is looking for, that's where the transformation comes in the thinking. And it's when you make that transformation that you're on your way to being a real mobile pro. Great. I think that that's perfect. Um, the second question, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, anybody on the, the globe today, who would it be and why? Well, uh, it's funny. I've been thinking about this. And because of the job I have and having been a best-selling author, I've gotten to meet some incredible people. I met David Remnick, the editor of The New Yorker. Um, I met Bill Gates. Uh, I met Isaac Asimov earlier in my career. These are some of my idols. But if you look right now at people who are alive now that I'd like to talk to, I'd actually love to have a conversation with Joni Ive, the, uh, the guy who is the design genius behind a lot of what's happening at Apple. If I could learn just a little bit of what he knows, then I'd certainly be a lot smarter person. Yeah, I think I think that you and probably every designer on the face of the planet today would be begging for an opportunity like that. Um, I just would like to ask him what he thinks of Apple Beats and see. So, curious. What do I think of the Apple Beats uh, merger? Yeah, no, I'd like to be curious. Yeah, no, I'd be curious to see what he has to say on the, uh, the Beats headphones themselves now as he tries to bring them into the Apple uh, family, so to speak. Yeah, I, who knows? They might become a little more tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure the uh, Beats brand is about uh, uh, becoming discreet. <laughs> uh, I know, Although, it's a fascinating <laughs> challenge. Well, and, and I don't know if you caught this, but uh, they actually benefited greatly from being banned from the touchlines by FIFA at the World Cup. I saw that. Sony hmm. is the sponsor, and Sony did not want uh, Beats headphones worn by the players, and they've actually gotten a heck of a lot of uh, publicity and YouTube views because of that. Uh, it sounds like the Streisand effect all over again. You got it. So, Josh, I yeah. can't thank you enough for, for joining us today, and I encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't, uh, download or buy it in hardcover, the Mobile Mind Shift, Engineer Your Business to Win the Mobile Moment, by uh, Josh, Ted Shadler, and Julie Ask, all of Forrester, and uh, a great read if you are truly trying to figure out uh, how to uh, really get your business more aligned with, again, those customer moments that happen now everywhere and therefore require that mobile mindset. And again, if you have some cool mobile moments to tweet out, just hashtag MyMobileMoment, right, Josh? And you guys uh, pick up and retweet some of those. That's correct. Excellent. Great. All right. Well, well, thank you very much, everybody, and, and Nick and uh, Josh. We appreciate you joining us. Jay should be back unless uh, France has captured him uh, or he has decided to move overseas. He does move on a, on a whim. Uh, but we will be back with another Social Pros next week. 
Uh, this is Jeff Roars. He's Nick Cicero. We've been with Josh Burnoff, and we can't thank you enough for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company.